hospitable. Adjective, two friends, hospitable, welcoming, friendly, congenial, genial, sociable, convi um, con convivial, cordial, gracious, amicable, well-disposed, amiable, helpful, obliging, accommodating, neighborly, warm, warm-hearted, kind, kindly, kind-hearted, generous, liberal, bountiful, and open-handed. Those are just a few words that describe hospitality. And using Exodus 9 as that springboard will encourage you, hopefully, to a deeper sense of worship on how we can see in the text an unhospitable person and the, the desire that the church pushes in to resist the temptation to avoid those who are different. See, there are a few violations I see in the text. Uh, maybe we could describe them as cogs in the wheel, which are hindering the people of God's invitation to leave Pharaoh's house. And I want to read to you Exodus chapter 9, if I can, uh, just briefly, and note that there's three areas. There's first, we're in the midst of the plagues. God has released plagues on the nation of Egypt. And in the midst of that, he has raised up Moses and Aaron to speak into the life of the nation, to see deliverance, that they would be no longer slaves, not only to fear, but to humanity, that they would be in a position, and this is what the Lord says through Moses to Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, God of the Hebrews, said, let my people go so that they can worship me. I want to stop right there. They can worship me. A lack of worship is a violation that hinders the work of God. This is why when we gather together and we put our hearts in position, we walk through those doors into a place of, Lord, I am here to worship. He is worthy of our worship. We declare His worship. But Pharaoh cannot allow the people of God to worship. He can't allow them to be the people of God. It's a direct violation of what we would understand in Egypt as his own birthright of divinity. For him to acknowledge his Moses in this instance would be self-degradating. He wouldn't do it. It would be degrading to his divinity. And Moses says, Let my people go that they may worship me. The enemy of the church... Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him in the scriptures, is the enemy of the church that we are riling against continuously. It is, he is the prince of the air, the king of this world, but one day he will be defeated. And it's interesting that when, he, when, when Moses says, let my people go, it's not a first time request. It's a subsequent message in chapter 5. Aaron and Moses delivered the first message. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Exodus 5 verse 1. I believe in my heart that it's my honor part that was the stumbling block to Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't want to honor anybody but himself. When we get into a position of not honoring others... We are in a dangerous position before the Lord. And we must be a church that actually has the power to welcome. See, pride gets in the way so often of the way that we live with each other and the way that we react to situations. And I 
First one, to be honest, I would struggle with that. All of us, to some extent, to levels of variation, have pride in our hearts. And it comes out in probably the worst times. Can I get an amen? See, we're told in the scriptures that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. What intrigues me about this proverb and what the proverb writer understands in Hebrews is he uses the word goba. Goba literally means I'm exalting myself and it literally comes down to the Hebrew word height. You're putting yourself above others in a position of superiority and power. See, it's the spirit inside us that controls the position of our worship. How you arrive here, as I've said, on Sundays matters not only to you, it matters to the Lord. How you respond to hard text and convicting scriptures not only matters to you, but it's a display of our own humility, our contrition, our faithfulness, our pliability to the Lord, that He's willing to shape us and we're willing to be shaped into the image of Christ. Pride... And mind you this, not being proud of someone. I will tell people I'm proud of them. That's a different thing. Pride itself is insidious. It starts slow. It's a thought. Well, I could have done that better. I'm superior. Pride, goba, a prideful spirit. And it, it destroys not only the kings of the earth, but even the lowly, the poor, everyone in the middle. It destroys presidents and ministers, but it also destroys the common man on the street. And it's this superiority, or I'm superior, that Isaiah prophesies over and against in the nation of Israel and the nations of the earth in Isaiah 12, or 13, chapters 13 through 25. For 10 chapters, Isaiah puts into his plain language God's hatred towards Gobah. It's Gobah, culminating in this thesis statement that Isaiah puts out. The Lord Almighty planned it. Planned what? Planned to bring down the kings of the earth. He brings down what? Israel even. Her pride in all her splendor. He humbles those who renown themselves in the earth. Isaiah 23 verse 9. Who did this? God did this. God does this. And it isn't until chapters 40 through 66 in Isaiah, just as you're going through this, that we get the promise of restoration, return to the land. But it comes differently than what the people of Israel thought. It didn't come through their own self-reliance or their own self-attitude. It came through an anointed one. Someone who would come and suffer and pay for Israel and pay the price for, for their transgression of pride. This is what Jesus did for you and me. He came and he paid the transgression for the pride that we have in our hearts. That he might live, that we might live. He died and rose from the dead that we might live. It's an interesting one. I think about this often, is that I'm so thankful that I believe in the resurrection of the dead. It is the foundation stone of my belief system. And because of that, I do not live in fear. It's the one thing that actually 
trumps my fear. Why? Because we all are fearful in some capacity. But others are fearful of death. And as Christians, we have a brightened hope that God is able and has overcome death in our lives for the sake of his glory. He's also worked in our lives when it comes to pride. And I want to say this, Russia and its people are feeling the brunt of Putin's pride. Pride hurts all people, not just you. It hurts the people around you. It has long-distance ripples that move and shift and shape and overwhelmingly overpower people. Why? Because they live under the yoke of the oppression. Egyptians were no different under Pharaoh than the Russians are under Putin. There was a BBC article online entitled, War, Putin Has Redrawn the World, But Not the Way He Wanted which details this ill-fated decision to invade Ukraine, which has now galvanized the West against him in a new Cold War. But it's redesigned the lines in a way in which we have much more strength together in unifying than, than we had before. All of a sudden, nations who, quite frankly, wanted nothing to do with each other are galvanized to realize that freedom, liberal democracy matters. See, pride, like that of Pharaoh's, has destroyed what could have been, for Putin, an element of peace, prosperity in his nation. It stems from a false desire of a Soviet Union, which basks in this understanding or this, this desire to have a superiority of race similar to Nazi ideology in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. It's the ideology that saw the systematic removal of gypsies, disabled, Jews, anyone who would not obey the decree. And all of a sudden, in the book of Exodus, we see the people of God living in Goshen, outside of the land of Egypt, in a particular place, if you will, a concentration camp of its own. So pride, gobah, is the deadly sin. And it comes from this superiority attitude from the heights. And let me say this antithetically, it's, a, it's the opposite of the gospel. The opposite of the gospel. How's that? Well, Philippians, Paul tells us this, that Christ emptied himself, literally emptied himself he could have been up there worshiping continuously forever, and yet he emptied himself, taking the form of a what? A slave, a bondservant. When you become a bondservant, you would go to the master, and you would say, I want to become your bondservant forever. And then the, then the, the slave master, the master would say, okay, you will bind yourself completely to me. And he would take them over to the wall, and he would take a big, long spike and he would put it up to their ear and he would nail it against the wall and, and that spike and then they would put an earring in and it would signify that I am yoked. Jesus laid down his life. He emptied himself to become a bondservant so that you and I could understand what it means to be yoked to God. 
He emptied himself, being made in the likeness of men. How about this one? Paul also writes this in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Amen. We get all the blessings of God. Why? Because Christ became poor for you and I. Luke 22. Jesus, you can imagine the scene. Jesus is in an upper room. People are entering through the door. His disciples, maybe one of, one of us, some of you, were walking through the door, and what does he do? He says, hey, let me wash your feet. Let me clean you up. You can imagine they're wearing sandals. It's quite dirty. And Jesus is over there on his knees. And and this is the statement that Luke makes. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who what? Serves. It is the one who, is it it not the one who reclines at the table? And then all of a sudden the statement is, but I'm the one who serves. That's Jesus. John 16, in clear contrast to Putin and Pharaoh and Hitler and anyone who exalt themselves against the name of God, Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and make him king, withdrew to the mountain alone. He runs away from his time of exaltation. Why? Because he knows the future. He knows the beginning from the end. Going low instead of high, is a trademark of Christianity. It resists the violation of pride. And if you are still taking notes, the second violation that may be a bit more salient, a little behind the scenes, but nonetheless, if you'll follow Pharaoh's pride of being superior, of having a superior race, then this shouldn't be hard to fathom. I like watching documentaries. I've seen many of those about historical items. I loved... Uh, watching documentaries made about Egypt. And no one can tell me that the Egyptians had not mastered astronomy, mathematics, the flow of the Nile, architecture, language. They built the cities of Memphis, Thebes, Amarna, Avaris, Pithramses, Theonis, Alexander, Alexandria, Luxor. Alexandria had a nice library that was finally, uh, well, it was actually burned. Had subsequent dominant kingdoms. They had pride. They had power. They had prestige. But they had forgotten that all of those things that they had were built on the backs of others. The second violation is their lack of hospitality. Linking back to my original statements. Hospitality. There is, as I've argued, a danger of failing to exceed failing to acknowledge those in your midst, whether they're socially, you, you fail socially, politically, theologically, you just fail to see them. And over time, the Egyptians had lost sight of the Israelites and what they had brought into their community. The days of Joseph and his supernatural assistance were long forgotten. Yesterday, I had the privilege of performing a wedding, which was lovely, for Mr. and Mrs. Robert and Charlie Martin in Brody Ferry. And on my way there, I realized that that I did not want to kill them with my breath, which seemed to be pretty bad. So I picked up some Tic Tacs at the store, which, quite frankly, could have killed them in another way. 
And, um, and I was there in my kilt with my queue on and, and uh, you know, in the queue with my kilt. And, uh, and I, I had this guy peer out from around the side and he said, Are you a true Scott? <laughs> and I said, I. <laughs> and he said, not with that accent. <laughs> Before losing the plot because of my own pride and anger, um, I paid for my Tic Tacs at the queue. And I, as I was walking out, frustrated, angry, because everyone was watching him have this conversation with me and make me feel belittled continuously. Why? Because I was wearing a kilt. It reminded me again that sometimes it's dangerous for us because when you're different, you're not one of us. And that always floods back into my mind. And it's opposite of the true understanding of what we are in Christ. Every one of you, no matter where you're from, whether you're from England or whether you're from China or whether you're from Poland or whether you're from the United States or whether you're from Canada, which I often get, um, you were adopted into a family. Adoption means this. You didn't originally start there. You ended up there. And so whether you're from Ukraine or whether you're from Poland or whether you're from Scotland, guess what? You were adopted into a family. Can I get an amen? And that family loves you. And they will be the family that takes care of you. When is it, when is it that it, it, it comes down to an accent? Does an accent make you Scottish? Don't ask the Dundonians. Because you don't speak like anybody I've heard in this country. Say, I'm McConnell. You know, my paternal grandmother was a Forsyth and a Crawford. The blood that runs through my veins and Courtney's veins is an Arbuthnot and a Brun. Right? All right? They, they, that, that, is that what signals at all? Is that what includes us? Is it, is it that? Yes, I do speak English differently, by the way. Have you noticed? No. Thank you. So kind. We need to be very careful that we don't slip into a place in which we have hard hearts towards others because they might look a little different. Right? When we lose sight of the advantage that outsiders bring into our community, there's a danger, there's a real danger that we become negative and we don't speak positive about who they are. Some of you will know I spent a good portion of my PhD thesis on this question. How does the church respond to forced migrants coming into the community? Pretty pertinent topic, eh? How do we do this? And to analyze this, I examined one of the writings of Reverend Dr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote this in his book of ethics. He said, the only fruitful relation to human beings, particularly to the weak among them, is love. That is, the will to enter into and to keep community with them. That takes commitment. And he says this, God did not hold human beings in contempt, but became, became a human for their sake. He quoted, he quoted the scriptures. 
And he said, this is good news of God's incarnate love for the world and for the church to live and plead in prayer with action, who? For them, for those who are coming. To do this, we have to change. We can't be like the world. We can't be like that guy in the queue who just really wanted to, to argue with me about whether or not I was a Scot or not. We can't do that. See, these things are going to force us out of our comfort zone. They're going to force us into spaces of service that we never thought we'd be doing. And it's important. These are the areas of gift of love that we pour out our true measure of offering to Christ. What intrigued me about the last three weeks is how we have responded. God has been faithful to bring thousands of pounds through various grants. Even the food bank gave us a 5,000 pound grant. Why? Because we were busy doing the work of the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And when you get to busy and you get to work, guess what happens? The blessings of God flow. The night of packing was awesome. The, the drivers, the vans, the space, the Andy Burns connection, Luda and her family. And even yesterday, I had families which needed our help. And they're reaching out. They're stuck in Hamburg and places like that and, and fleeing through corridors under shelling to say, can we come to the United Kingdom and find safety? Well, yes, you can. And you know what? It's our response to actually be ready for them. So get in the game, everybody, because the game is on. All right? As Christians, we're called to this. And I, I want to say this. The first consequence of not responding is death. If you, refer, if you refuse them to go and continue to hold them back, this is Moses to Pharaoh, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock. I will, I will punish you. Uh-oh, we don't want to talk about that. But the Lord will distinguish between the livestock of Egypt and Israel so that the animal belonging to the Israelites will what? Live. As Christians, we're called to bring life. We're called to give life. I rarely have dreams at night. I've shared this with you. But since the war in Ukraine broke out, I've had visions. I've had dreams. I've cried in my sleep. I've woken up with tears running down my face. I don't even know why. The other day, I shared with Courtney something that was in my mind. Laying, I was laying in the bed, and I had a vision of Ben Kingsley, who has played Itzhak Stern in Schindler's List. In the movie, Oscar Schindler, played by Liam Neeson, were sitting in a room typing a list of people that they were attempting to free from the concentration camp. And the, and the, the hand of German SS officer Eamon Goeth, as they were typing out the names, Ben Kingsley types on his typewriter away, and Oscar keeps saying to him, how many? And he says, 600. He said, more. And that played over and over and over in my mind. And then he said to, to Neeson, and he said this, the list is an absolute good. The list is life. Friends, we have people who need life. I, I, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna do something here, and I want you to listen to this. And it might take me a minute to find it, but I want you to hear it because it's important. 
I'm going to try to play it here and go through. It's my friend, Oksana, in the United States. I will definitely interesting about this. And um, so they're still waiting for uh, one more family from, uh, from Ukraine. The part of the, the, the nephew, or it's just like, oh, sorry, I just, oh my God. Nathan, this is really cool. This is what you proposed. This is really cool. If this can happen, if this make, you will just save the lives. You will just save the lives. If we don't, if we forget what we're doing, we'll miss the whole point. Oksana, Oksana moved to the United States. Her husband moved and stayed with Courtney and I 25 years ago. She's busy trying to translate. She has friends, people who are migrating, stuck in Hamburg and various places. And the proposal is not my proposal, it's the UK government proposal to give them life, to bring them here to Scotland. But you know what? That confirmed again to me what God was saying on my bed. The lists are life. These people need life. We are the church. We bring what? I'm going to skip my second consequence, and I'm going to, to talk just briefly. We need to offer hospitality to the strangers. Not everyone is called to open their home, but everyone is called to serve in some capacity. And whether you have the gift of administration or whether you have the gift of of, of giving, or whether you have the gift of um, teaching English as a second language, or whether you have the ability to buy nappies so that families can have. We are in this. It wasn't something we expected to do, but we're in it. And our job is to bring life. To offer hospitality to a stranger is to welcome them to something new to something unfamiliar in our life world. On the one hand, hospitality requires a recognition of the stranger's vulnerability in an alien social world. On the other hand, hospitality designates occasions of potential discovery, which can open up our narrow provincial worlds. The sharing of stories may prove threatening, but not necessarily so. The stranger does not simply challenge or subvert our assumed world meaning. She, he may even enrich it, transform it. That we might have a world that's better. This is where God is calling us. For such a time as this, God is calling us into this space. And we want to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, shift and move with him. And so as we move into this place, um, please be praying for these things, that God would open homes, that these manses would not get bogged down in legality. And what I've heard so far is just an openness completely 
to move around, to navigate, to make it possible. And for this, I am grateful to not only the Church of Scotland, but all the churches in this city. And we need to be a city that receives well. Why? Because we bring so much to the life, and they bring so much to ours. Amen? Before I pray, I want to say this. If you haven't noticed, we're already a pretty ecumenical kind of multicultural campus. Today we'll have a Ghanaian church meeting on site. On the 26th, we're going to have a Polish night in which we worship the Lord in the small hall in Polish and you're all invited and we will pack in there and it will be awesome and I will try to practice the one word I know in Polish and it will be terrible. And, um, and I... Jak się masz? Dobrze. Okay, yeah, there we go. See? Um, but please... <laughs> this is terrible, isn't it? <laughs> please... By the grace of God, come be part of this. Welcome our Polish community into this. Because guess what? They're right now taking on the brunt of the storm. And they're faithfully doing it unto the Lord. And, and you know what? They deserve honor too. And we want to honor them. And I hope that they arrive. And I hope, I'm just looking forward to it. And Mirek is going to lead worship with, with Mariusz. Did I do that right? Dang it. Um, I'm going to... I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to work on my pronunciation by then. But let me be honest. I'm so excited about worshiping the Lord together. Why? Because this is the heart of God. Can, can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. So let's, let's pray specifically. And I want to say this, that I know I've spoken on hospitality. If you have the gift of hospitality, I want to be somewhat... I want to invite you up, Simon, if I can. Um, if you have the gift of hospitality, but you're asking for more of the gift of hospitality, whether that I, I've signed up to be a sponsor or whether I've, I've got, I'm going to open my home or whether, hey, I've, I've got this talent to offer the Lord. If that's you, uh, during this last song, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up um, and I, and I, want you, I want you to be able to come forward for prayer. We want to pray over you and ask God for, for more um, of his love on you in this moment. And so as we do the last song, it there won't be any fanfare. Just come forward. We'll be praying for you. Um, and if there's people who could come up, if I could ask you, Stephen and Natalie and Courtney, if, if there are people who want to come forward, and if you see them, just isolate them and pray for them. So let's, let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you that you have called us into a spirit of welcome. God, you have called us to be hospitable. You've called us to grace and mercy and love. God, you've called us to pastoral care. You've called your church, God, to be life. And so, Father, we pray that Downfield Mains would be a place of life. When people walk in here, they would sense your Holy Spirit, your love. God, that they would know that they're accepted. God, we ask for this in the name of Jesus. We love you and we thank you. And Father, if there are those in this congregation who need, who need more of your spirit, they have a heart for hospitality, Lord, just, just, just bring them, just 
just stand where you are. Just stand where you are. If you have a heart for hospitality, but you, you want more, you want protection in that, you want God to guide that, just stand up to your feet. And we'll continue to pray for you. Thank you. If there's more of you who have a heart for this, that God would protect you, that He would guide it, that He would live, um, that He would give you more of His Spirit. Thank you for you. Thank you. Thank you. If you see someone, just extend your hand towards them as they have, they have laid this out to the Lord. Um, if you want to step over and pray for them, we're going to do our last song in worship. Amen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole...